Good morning. Well, we know the Holy Spirit was welcome, but I, so was other people, and they didn't get the message. Uh, <laughs> let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you bring us together. We thank you for all that you do. Lord, you, you look over us, you guide us, you correct us when we need correcting. So Lord, as we go through today, let us hear the message. Let us thoroughly enjoy and respect the time we have in communion, Lord. It is such a reminder of the sacrifice made that you made of your son for us. So Lord, as we're in this holiday season, let us never forget that it started with a birth, but it's ended with a horrible death. Lord, but in between, was a glorious life that has taught us so much about how to be part of your family. This we ask in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I closed my eyes. I thought maybe there'd be more people when I opened them. Uh, <laughs> Let's worship our Lord. Today we light the second Advent candle when John the baptizer made his appearance as a preacher in the desert of Judea, this was his message to them. Reform your lives. The reign of God is at hand. The message this morning um, is a really, really good one. The joy of Christmas. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Every year, people write in saying how they dread Christmas. Often their complaints stem from how busy they will be or how much money they're going to spend. Did those wise men who journeyed hundreds of miles across the desert to seek out the infant Jesus ever feel that way? After all, it took months to make the artist's trip, and they had gone to great expense to brought to provide gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh for the new child. In fact, as they journeyed and it came to an end, they read, or we read, that it was with exceedingly great joy. What made the difference? Their focus was totally on Jesus, the one who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Don't let this Christmas season overwhelm you. Don't feel like you have to go out and do everything and go into debt just to impress people. Focus instead on Jesus. Take time every day to read the prophecies of his coming and the wonderful story of his birth. Make this Christmas one of exceedingly great joy. And the hope for today when you're tempted to count the shopping days remaining, or go through your gift list for the hundredth time, or stress out where to have Christmas dinner, choose instead to focus on the joy that accompanied that first Christmas.
Testament scripture reading today comes from Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her, her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all of her sins. Listen. It's the voice of someone shouting. Clear the way through the wilderness for your Lord. Make a straight highway through the wastelands for your God. Fill the, in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed 
and all the people will see her together. The Lord has spoken. A voice said, shout. I asked, what should I shout? Shout that the people are like grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass, grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of your God stands forever. O Zion, messenger of good news, shout from the mountaintops, shout it louder. O Jerusalem, shout and do not be afraid. Tell the towns of Judah, your God is coming. Yes, the sovereign God is coming in power. He will rule with the powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him, and he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. And if you'd like to stand as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Join us as we sing, Come Long Expected Jesus. reading today comes from 2nd Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 15 but you must not forget this one thing dear friends a day is like a thousand years to the Lord 
and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly uh, lives you should live. Look forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth as he promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with, with the wisdom God gave him. Take your bulletin. We have a responsive reading. Give me faith like John's, O Lord, strong enough to believe even in a desert, that you and your kingdom are no farther from me than my hand. Make my heart strong like his, not swayed by trials or snared by false pleasures. Give me courage to be faithful until your promises are fulfilled. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you accept the gifts we give today, that they be used to further your kingdom, that people come to know you, Lord, and let us be part of that messenger. Lord, we want to reach out. We want to help people. We want to help them get to know you. Lord, so as you see fit, bring them to us, and let us always Give freely because we know all belongs to you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My legs are not good, but the rest of me is great okay. For years now, whenever the Christmas pageants are talked about in Eloy, Arizona, someone is sure to mention the name of Wally Perling. Wally's performance in one annual production of the Nativity play has slipped into the realm of a legend. But the old-timers who were in the audience that night never get tired of recalling exactly what happened. Wally was nine that year and in the second grade, though he should have been in the fourth most people in town knew that he had difficulty keeping up. He was big and awkward, slow in movement and mind still. Wally was liked by the older children, by the other children in his class, all of whom were smaller than he. Though the boys had trouble hiding their irritation when Wally would ask to play ball with them, or any game for that matter, in which winning was important. 
They'd find a way to keep him out, but Wally would hang around anyway, not sulking, just hoping. He was a helpful boy, always willing and smiling, and the protector, paradoxically, of the underdog. If the older boys chased the younger ones away, it would be Wally who'd say, can't they stay? They're no bother. Wally fancied the idea of being a shepherd in the Christmas pageant, but the play's director, Miss Lombard, assigned him to a more important role. After all, she reasoned, the innkeeper did not have too many lines, and Wally's size would make his refusal of lodging to Joseph more forceful. And so it happened. Large audience gathered for the town's yearly extravaganza. Crooks and crests and beards of crowns and halos and a whole stage full of squeaky voices. No one on stage or off was more caught up in the magic of the night than Wallace Perling. They said later, they said later that he stood in the wings and watched the performance with such fascination that Miss Limbard had to make sure he didn't wander on stage before his cue. Then the time came when Joseph appeared, slowly, tenderly guiding Mary to the door of the inn. Joseph knocked hard on the wooden door, set into the painted backdrop. Wally, the innkeeper, was there waiting. What do you want? Wally said, swinging the door open with a brusque gesture. We seek lodging. Seek it elsewhere, Wally spoke vigorously. The inn is full. Sir, we have asked everywhere in vain. We have traveled far and are very weary. There's no room in this inn for you, Wally looked properly stern. Please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, Mary. She is heavy with child and needs a place to rest. Surely you must have some small corner for her. She is so tired. Now for the first time, the innkeeper relaxed his staff a stiff stance and looked down at Mary. With that, there was a long pause, long enough to make the audience a bit tense with embarrassment. No, be gone, the prompter whispered. No, Wally repeated automatically. Be gone. Joseph sadly placed his arm around Mary, and Mary laid her head on her husband's shoulder, and the two of them started to move away. The innkeeper did not return inside the inn, however. Wally stood there in the doorway, watching the forlorn couple. His mouth was open, his brow creased with concern, his eyes filled unmistakably with tears. And suddenly, this Christmas pageant became different from all others. Don't go, Joseph, Wally cried out. Bring Mary back. And Wally Perling's face grew into a bright smile. You can have my room. Some people in town thought that the pageant had been ruined. Yet there were others, many, many others, who considered it the most Christmas of all Christmas pageants they had ever seen. Father, thank you 
Thank you, thank you for that first Christmas. Such a difficult time for your family, Lord. And Father, a sad, difficult time for them. But what a joyous, joyous, joyous time for us. Lord, we rejoice every year at this time, again and again, as we remember the birth of your son. Such a humble beginning, and yet such an important time together. In Christ's name, we pray this morning as we celebrate this season, this glorious, wonderful season. In Christ's name, amen. I, uh, I never put titles to my messages. It's always hard to narrow something down to just a few words. But um, this one I'm calling, Don't Forget to Remember. Don't forget to remember. Our memory anchors us in the past, interprets the present, and charts a course for the future. This past week, I was considering the case of Jimmy, who had a rare neurological disorder called Karsakoff syndrome. This order affected memory. Jimmy's story is told in the book, A Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, by Dr. Oliver Sacks, who met Jimmy in 1975. Jimmy walked into the doctor's office with a security. Hiya, Doc, this morning. Do I take this chair over here? He was cooperative and answered all the questions as Dr. Sachs checked his memory. He remembered his childhood home, friends, school, and the Navy, which he had joined in 1943. He was stationed on a sub and could still remember the Morse code. He recalled vividly his service in the Navy through the end of World War the end of the war in 1945, but that's where his memory stopped, completely stopped. Jimmy couldn't remember anything from 1945 to the present. He thought that Truman was president and the periodic table stopped with uranium and no one had been to the moon. He had no recollection of anything that happened more than a few minutes ago. He thought he was 19 years old, not the actual age of 49. Dr. Sachs showed him a mirror, and Jimmy gazed in the middle age, at the middle-aged man with bushy gray hair. He was shocked. In Dr. Sachs' words, Jimmy, he suddenly turned to ashen and gripped the sides of the chair. What's going on? What's happened to me? Is this a nightmare? Am I crazy? Sachs calmed him down by taking him to the window to watch a ball game in the park below and he removed the mirror. Dr. Sachs left him alone for two minutes and then returned. Jimmy was still at the window gazing at the kids in the park. He wheeled wheeled around. Hiya, Doc, nice morning. You wanna talk to me? Do I take this chair here? Haven't we met before, Mr. G? No, I can't say that we have. He stayed in that convalescent home where Dr. Sachs worked, but he never learned his way around the halls. He was good at rapid games of checkers and tic-tac-toe, but he got lost at chess because the moves were too slow. Sachs said, 
I had never encountered, even imagined, such a power of amnesia. The possibility of a pit which everything, every experience, every event would fathomlessly drop. The staff at the home spoke of Jimmy as a lost soul. Without memory, we are lost. In the Bible, memory is much more than a cognitive recall, such as remembering the dates of a history test or remembering where your car keys are. In the Bible, memory includes the mind and the emotions and the will. In the Bible, remembering, remembering is remembering. It means to attach something that had been amputated. It is a whole person activity where the past comes alive in the present and suggests action for the future. Consider the thief hanging on the cross in Luke chapter 23. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or Hannah's vow in 1 Samuel 1. Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And then consider Paul's words in Galatians chapter 2. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Even our English word has some connotations to it. At a birthday party, when the host hands out, treat the little girl squirms and raises her hand, saying, remember me. Remembering also helps us to think about the people meant to us. There's a story in Acts chapter 9, which I always find very warm. A woman by the name of Dorcas became ill and died. And the people in her community sent for Peter. When Peter got there, he read from Acts chapter 9. They took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. In the, uh, in the story, they are remembering and declaring that Dorcas, what Dorcas meant to them. I like that picture. I've conducted more memorial services than I like to admit, unfortunately. I like the picture, though, when we remember a loved one who has passed away we also think about what they meant to us. Such an experience is a warm experience, and such memories are good. That's the kind of memory that anchors us to the past, tells us where we are in the present, and charts a course for the future. We need that kind of memory. We need an anchor because we tend to drift, at least I do. We tend to slide and go astray. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've had so that we do not drift away. Do you sense within yourselves a possibility, even the tendency of drifting? I do. I feel the need to guard so I won't drift. I've seen it happen far too often. 
If you think you are immune to drifting, I humbly, humbly ask you to think again. The Lord gives us warnings. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to the children after them. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. We must pay careful attention not to drift. The faith journey of Charles Darwin, and I know that might surprise you, that Charles Darwin had much faith at all, but it comes to mind to me. He was brought up in a conventionally Christian home in Victorian England, accepted the truthfulness of the Bible and the church's creeds, and for a while the thought of going into the ministry, believe it or not. While traveling the world as a naturalist aboard the HMS Beagle, Darwin became convinced that species developed by chance over vast epochs of time. That belief eventually led him to reject the Genesis account of creation and eventually the whole Old Testament. Then he rejected the Gospels because of their miracles and the discrepancy that supposedly eyewitnesses accounts. Then a severe personal storm caused him to drift farther the death of his dear daughter, Annie, who was 10 years old. Though the great scientist never became an outright atheist, his belief in God slowly evolved into a kind of deism. Commenting on his slow, this slow drift, Darwin said, I gradually came to disbelief in Christianity as a divine revelation. Disbelief crept over me at a very slow rate, but at last complete. The rate was so slow that I felt no distress. The Bible warns us, be careful, do not forget. In contrast to our drifting and forgetting, God remembers us. His eye is on us, his face is toward us, his ear is inclined towards us, and his hand is on us. One thing is, he remembers our trials Psalm 56, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do, flesh do to me? You, God, remember my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Archaeologists have discovered from the ancient world small vials made of glass, and they can be very ornate. The top of the vial is shaped like a trumpet. These vials are used to collect tears. A person weeping would hold a vial to his or her cheek and guide the tear into the bottle. Then they would put a stopper on the bottle and preserve the tears as a memorial of the trial or the person they mourned. Notice that God puts our tears in the bottle. Thus we sing, he knows my name, he knows my every thought. He sees every tear that falls and hears me when I call. 
In Exodus 2, we read, the years have passed. And the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groanings, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaiah 49 tells us, never can a mother forget her, nurse, can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for a child she has born? But even if that were possible... I would not forget you. God saw the first martyr, Stephen. He wrote his name in his hands. He was seen, he has seen the tens of thousands of martyrs, said Stephen. The believers behind the Iron Curtain. And when I think of the Middle East today and Turkey especially, those who have been sacrificed for Christ. The believers of this church here this morning, he has made covenant with all of us and will not go back on his word. Your name, my name, our names are written on his hands in his book of life. He has remembered us through Jesus. Therefore, we walk in hope and joy. Christians walk with a kind of buoyancy and optimism grounded in the character and the promises of God. We walk in hope. With past sins and failures, we remember that God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. Amen. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, I look to see him there who made an end to all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied. He took on him and pardoned me. We are secure in Christ. So we walk in hope and joy. Of course, this doesn't mean that we'll never have trials. It doesn't mean that tears will never roll down our cheeks, and they have. But it means that if God is for us, who can be against us? It means that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It means that we will never be forsaken. In Christ, we find strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Bright hope for tomorrow. Let's conclude with some very concrete action steps on how to keep our memory alive, how to avoid the slow drift. And here's my advice. Speak, listen, eat, and drink. Recount, recall, repeat, recite, review, remember, tell and retell the old, old story. One way we speak is with music, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. If your grief is too heavy, if you feel that God has forgotten you, if you cannot lift your hands or your voice, others will sing for you. 
C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, one must train the habit of faith by making sure that some of its main doctrines shall be deliberately held before our mind for some time every day. That is why daily prayers and Bible reading are necessary and going to church necessary part of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded, continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive. It must be fed. It must be fed. Father, thank you this morning for the table that's before us and for the elements, the bread, and the juice we're about to eat and to drink, Father. We need to be reminded. Lord, my memory tends to drift. I quickly forget. I apologize and confess that, Lord. So this morning, prepare us for this table that as we eat and drink together, we'll do so. And never forget, never forget the price your son has paid for us because it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to stand... As we prepare our hearts this morning, uh, as we go before the table, examine your life, Lord, and, and um, before the Lord. And if there's anything that is um, that you have that you need to confess, just bring it before the Lord before you come to the table. Come with a with a clean heart, Lord. He's willing and able to. Um, forgive you for anything. So prepare your hearts as we sing. You are the vine. Let's just sing it through once, not the repeat. Okay. I like the repeat. You are the vine. We are the branches. Keep us abiding in
know that every one of us, regardless of whatever handicap or skills or whatever we, whatever we are born with or may develop, we can still serve you, Lord. And that when we serve you from our heart, it is seen by all who observe, and we know that it is known by you. So Lord, let us always strive to serve you and do it from a with intending to please you and just you, Lord. This we ask in your Son's Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>